wonderful people. Welcome back to Sidecar Stories. Uh, welcome to my most my most uh, YouTuber setup I've ever been in right now. I have I have an official I have a gaming chair that I'm sitting on right now. I've got a sweet webcam, and as you can see, I mean, listen to that audio. Listen to that. I actually. <laughs> I can do live monitoring through my mic, but I'll be honest, I don't know what it sounds like on the other end. So if it is uh, like blown out, y'all are going to have to let me know. So keep me updated, yeah? How's everybody doing? Let's see. We've got Kit Koch. We've got the general. Hey, general. General. Does she really have to stay here? Her grandma's been gone for like less than an hour. Uh, Rachel, how's it going? Nikki, Michaela, Abigail, Aisling, aka Dark and Twisty M, finally made it for a live reading. Welcome. Uh, yeah, general, things are going good. I look like a Minecraft player, says the general. <laughs> um, so here's my creative world. Oh man, I'm gonna be so much more sardonic. It, I, I change a lot depending on who I'm in the room with, and. Right now, I'm in the room with my girlfriend, as I usually am, and also um, my very, very bestest friends. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, but this is actually Nate Koch's setup. Um, and uh, Nate is actually basically the person who's responsible for my ability to stream my ability to start this thing um this is this is the laptop that he he very generously gave me and none of this streaming would have been possible at all if it hadn't been for this so nate i appreciate it um and it, it is the reason that i will continue to tolerate your trolling in both the chat and my discord you have earned your place there so, for anybody who doesn't know what this is, uh, what are you doing here in the middle of book four? And also, uh, welcome to Sidecar Stories. My name is Sam, and I read Harry Potter. I've been doing it for like a year and a half now, and it's been going really well. I hit, uh, I'm at like over 300 subscribers. I think I gained 100 subscribers in this month while I've been traveling and uh, not streaming very consistently. So, thank you all very much for telling people about what we do here. It's fun. Glad to have more people. Uh, it seems like people are really picking it up kind of at the start of book four. Um, and myself and a number of other people are kind of curious as to why that is. So if you just picked it up as of book four, why is that? Is that the first video that you became aware of? Is it like you read books one through three and then sort of left off for a while and wanted to find an audio version? I'm curious why book four? Let me know. Ashling. Ashling. Ashling, aka Dark and Twisty M. Copy that. Ashling. Thanks for the uh, pronunciation guide. Uh, Emily, I'm doing well. Just wrapping up our trip here. Um, it's good to be. It's good to be streaming, and it's uh, it's good to have you guys here. It's fun. I can't actually tell how many people are watching me right now, but that's okay. So as usual. By the way, General, that was that was uh, your first lines from Hush, the podcast. Uh, I don't know if it read properly. I also don't know. I mean, for all I know, chat's all weird. But General, I listened to the to the pilot episode of Hush, 
and it's good. If you guys are interested in interesting sort of supernatural style, or not supernatural style, but uh, a, a podcast with some interesting supernatural uh, storylines to it from a voice that we know, um, one of our more precocious voices, in fact, uh, General, you did well. Uh, she plays Rachel in a podcast called Hush. So go ahead and check it out. Uh, second shout out is to, I guess this is the third. The first was to Nate. Second was to the general. Third goes to, uh, once again, Luke. Uh, Luke Skyfoos. Um, thank you so much. I would say, let's see, most of the most of the scene art that I have today was found by Luke. Um, I think it's all but one, honestly. Uh, so thank you so much for your help. You make this process so much easier. So uh, to my like soft producer, Luke. Uh, Thank you so much. Again, check him out on Instagram. He's another uh, social media lit person um, at L-U-K-E-S-K-Y-F-O-O-S on Instagram. Um, Marie. Marie says, hey, it's me from France. Currently listening to book three and picked up from there because it's when the story starts going deep. We love. <laughs> uh, yes. I, I think I for me, it really starts to like get into depth in book four um so that's why i wasn't super surprised when people started showing up for it but uh it's exciting uh ashling says i picked up due to the closing of another person closing yeah scottish names can be tricky <laughs> i should i typically do all right but uh boy i'm i'm super prepared to embarrass myself with a scottish accent who's got a scottish accent who do i read scottish I don't, I don't know if there's, a, there might not be anybody yet. Interesting. I feel like, what? Angus is in there somewhere. I can't, I can't say that. With a, there's a, there's a Scottish person here right now. I can't say that. <laughs> um, I can't. Hey, Luke. No problem. Thank you so much for finding all that art. Okay. Tuned in while you're at the beach. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. All right, Ashley, I'm I'm curious. What do you mean by the closing of another YouTuber, another person, YouTube closing? I'm curious what you mean by that. Okay, so quick summary of what we learned last week, and then we're going to get into the chapter, shall we? Let's do it. So, uh, last time on Sidecar Stories, it's been a couple of weeks. So I'm going to be honest; it's a little tough to remember. Uh, Padfoot returns. A lot of this chapter was essentially just about Sirius Black coming back and having another encounter with Harry. Now, this is significant because Sirius Black is still very much an enemy of the state. He's still considered an incredibly dangerous uh, wizarding uh, murderer. <laughs> uh, he's a fugitive, and so it's very dangerous for him to be back here in, uh, in Hogwarts territory. This is a big risk for him to take. Um, Everybody, the, the the golden trio is kind of shocked that he's willing to take this much risk. But when he shows back up, um, he has a lot to say. Um, there's a lot of important information that we need to <laughs> we need to understand about what's happening here, uh, and he's going to reveal that. I'll talk about that in just a second. But first of all, um, there's a, a, a an interesting piece in the newspaper: Harry Potter's secret heartache. Um, this is an article written by Rita Skeeter that pretty much trashes Hermione Granger. 
Ron warned Hermione not to get on the uh, the wrong side of Rita Skeeter. Unfortunately, she has done so, and doesn't go well. Hermione doesn't seem too bothered. She's going to try and plug along, but um, the uh, by the way, I, Ashling, I, I see you in chat over there. I'll be there in just a sec. Um, Hermione doesn't seem too bothered. She's trying to focus on the things at hand. Uh, she's not going to let a little thing like um, you know a ridiculous journalist get in her way. Unfortunately, Snape latches onto this, and uh, it seems that Hermione is, um, she's going to be unpopular for a little while here. The Slytherins certainly don't do her any favors, nor do uh, people like Snape. Let's see. Oh, crude. I'm, I'm, I'm crunching on ice now because I forgot how much more sensitive this mic is. Okay. Um, Harry accuses, or excuse me, Snape accuses Harry of stealing and, uh, threatens to use a, a potion on him that will force him to tell the truth called Veritaserum. Uh, Karkaroff rushes in and seems to have some, uh, he seems to be very consternated. Um, he insists that he talks to Snape. Snape says, it's going to have to wait until later. Um, let's see. Then down into Hogsmeade, through Hogsmeade, and off to meet Sirius, where we have a, an extended conversation about um, the the goings on around the the Triwizard Tournament. The the oh boy, good grief, good grief. The um, the most important things that we learn are about uh, Barty Crouch. Harry has expressed how strange Barty Crouch is being throughout this whole process. And um, they discuss at length the events surrounding um, the the dismissal of Barty Crouch's house elf, Winky. Um, how strange it's, he's being. Uh, and we learn a lot about uh, Barty Crouch's history. Uh, we learn he had a son who uh, ended up hanging out with some dark wizards. It doesn't look like there was proof necessary necessarily that he was a dark wizard himself but he certainly kept bad company and because of that because of barty crouch's insistence uh that he was going to be the next minister of magic um and his real hatred of dark magic um barty crouch sent him to azkaban that's significant um finally they have a brief discussion about snape and um how he and karkaroff seem to be pretty close karkaroff himself being a a uh, dark wizard in the past. I think that is most of what we find out. Yep, I think that's about it. All right, let me jump back into chat. As usual, while I'm reading, um, go ahead and put anything in chat that you'd like to talk about. I love to discuss with you anything about the chapter, um, anything at all, really. But let's see. Another YouTuber was doing Harry Potter and he got shut down. Yeah, YouTube channel deleted. Hmm. Well, let's uh, let's hope, right? We'll have to be careful. I am. I'm fairly confident that we fall under fair use here with what we do. Um, this is for the purposes of. You know criticism of the work itself and i think we've got plenty of stuff to discuss here with um the the themes the characters 
uh, and I'm looking to expand on that as well. So, uh, B says hi. How's it going? Vin Drake, listening live while working. General says, I'm honestly freaking out. You actually listened. <laughs> uh, yeah. I certainly did. It was good. I, I always like to hear, you know, new people doing that kind of thing. And the that kind of radio play style um, is something I kind of want to emulate here as well. Um, so hopefully you'll be seeing more of that sorts of thing in the future. Uh, but not ASMR. No, 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 no. B says, a few weeks ago, I got bit in the face by a dog and had to get stitches. B, I'm very sorry. That's a lot. That's a lot to deal with. Um, was it the Grim? Did you see the Grim prior to it happening? What do your tea leaves say about it? No, I hope you get better. Um, that was probably a pretty scary experience. Getting bit by dogs is no joke. They freak out. All right. Yeah, Luke says fingers crossed. No joke. No joke at all. Okay. Um, <laughs> Nikki says please no ASMR. I'm with you. All right, let's get started, shall we? Chapter twenty-eight. Wait, wait, wait. I'm not in the I'm not in the art section yet. I have to start up once I get there. There we go. Chapter twenty-eight. The madness of Mr. Crouch. Harry, Ron, and Hermione went up to the Owlery after breakfast on Sunday to send a letter to Percy asking, as Sirius had suggested, whether he had seen Mr. Crouch lately. They used Hedwig because it had been so long since she'd had a job. When they had watched her fly out of sight through the owlery window, they proceeded down to the kitchen to give Dobby his new socks. The house elves gave them a very cheery welcome, bowing and curtsying and bustling around making tea again. Dobby was ecstatic about his present. Harry Potter is too good to Dobby, he squeaked wiping huge tears out of his enormous eyes. "'You saved my life with that gillyweed, Dobby. You really did,' said Harry. "'There's no chance of more of those eclairs, is there?' said Ron, who was looking around at the beaming and bowing house-elves. "'You've just had breakfast,' said Hermione irritably, but a great silver platter of eclairs was already zooming toward them, supported by four house-elves. We should get some stuff to send up to Snuffles, Harry muttered. Good idea, said Ron. Give Pig something to do. You couldn't give us a bit of extra food, could you? He said to the surrounding elves, and they bowed delightedly and hurried off to get some more. Dobby, where is Winky? said Hermione, who was looking around. Winky is over by the fire, miss, said Dobby quietly his ears drooping slightly. Oh, dear, said Hermione as she spotted Winky. Harry looked over at the fireplace, too. Winky was sitting on the same stool as last time, but she had allowed herself to become so filthy that she was not immediately distinguishable from the black st um, the smoke-blackened brick behind her. Her clothes were ragged and unwashed. She clutched a bottle of butterbeer and, swaying slightly on her stool, stared into the fire. As they watched her, she gave an enormous hiccup. Winky is going through six bottles a day now, Dobby whispered to Harry. Well, it's not strong, that stuff, Harry said, but Dobby shook his head. Tis strong for a house elf, sir, he said. 
Winky hiccuped again. The elves who had brought the eclairs gave her disapproving looks as they returned to work. Winky is pining, Harry Potter, Dobby whispered sadly. Winky wants to go home. Winky still thinks Mr. Crouch is her master, sir, and nothing Dobby says will persuade her that Professor Dumbledore is her master now. Hey, Winky, said Harry, struck by a sudden inspiration, walking over to her and bending down. You don't know what Mr. Crouch might be up to, do you? Because he stopped turning up to judge the Triwizard Tournament. Winky's eyes flickered. Her enormous pupils focused on Harry. She swayed slightly, and then said, Master is, is stopped coming? Yeah, said Harry. We haven't seen him since the first task. The Daily Prophet's saying that he's ill. Winky swayed some more, staring blurrily at Harry. Master? He ill? Their bottom lip began to tremble. But we're not sure if that's true, said Hermione quickly. Master is needing his <laughs> winky, whimpered the elf. Master cannot manage all by himself. Other people manage to do their own housework, you know, winky, Hermione said severely. Winky is not only doing housework for Mr. Crouch, winky squeaked indignantly swaying worse than ever and slapping Butterbeer down her already heavily stained blouse. Master is trusting Winky with the most important, the most secret. What? said Harry. But Winky shook her head very hard, spilling more Butterbeer down herself. Winky keeps her master's secrets, she said mutinously, swaying very heavily now, frowning up at Harry with her eyes crossed. You is nosing, you is. Winky must not talk like that to Harry Potter, said Dobby angrily. Harry Potter is brave and noble, and Harry Potter is not nosy. He is nosing into my master's private and secret. Winky is a good elf. Winky keeps her silence. People trying to pry and poke Winky's eyelids drooped, and suddenly, without warning, she slid off her stool onto the into the hearth, snoring loudly. The empty bottle of butterbeer rolled away across the stone-flagged floor. Half a dozen house-elves came hurrying forward, looking disgusted. One of them picked up the bottle. The others covered Winky with a large checked tablecloth and tucked the ends in neatly, hiding her from view. We is sorry you had to see that, sirs and miss, squeaked a nearby elf, shaking his head and looking very ashamed. We is hoping you will not judge us all by Winky, sirs and miss. She's unhappy, said Hermione, exasperated. Why don't you try and cheer her up instead of covering her up? Begging your pardon, miss, said the house elf, bowing deeply again. But house elves has no right to be unhappy when there is work to be done and masters to be served. Oh, for heaven's sake, Hermione cried, listen to me, all of you. You've got just as much right as wizards to be unhappy. You've got the right to wages and holidays and proper clothes. You don't need to do everything that you're told. Look at Dobby. Miss Will, please keep Dobby out of this, Dobby mumbled, looking scared. 
the cheery smiles had vanished from the faces of the house elves around the kitchen. They were suddenly looking at Hermione as though she were mad and dangerous. We has your extra food, squeaked an elf at Harry's elbow, and he shoved a large ham, a dozen cakes, and some fruit into Harry's arms. Goodbye. The house elves crowded around Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and began shunting them out of the kitchen, many little hands pushing in the smalls of their backs. "'Thank you for the socks, Harry Potter,' Dobby called miserably from the hearth, where he was standing next to the lumpy tablecloth that was Winky. "'You couldn't keep your mouth shut, could you, Hermione?' said Ron angrily as the kitchen door slammed shut behind them. "'They won't want us visiting them now. We could have tried to get some more stuff out of Winky about Crouch.' "'Oh, as if you care about that!' scoffed Hermione. You only like coming down here for the food. It was an irritable sort of day after that. Harry got so tired of Ron and Hermione sniping at each other over their housework, nope, over their homework in the common room, that he took Sirius's food up to the owlery that evening on his own. Pigwidgeon was much too small to carry an entire ham up the mountain by himself, so Harry enlisted the help of two school screech owls as well. When they had set off into the dusk, Looking extremely odd, carrying the large package between them, Harry leaned on the window sill, looking out at the grounds, at the dark, rustling treetops of the Forbidden Forest, and the rippling sails of the Durmstrang ship. An owl eagle flew through the coil of smoke rising from Hagrid's chimney. It soared toward the castle, around the owlery, and out of sight. Looking down, Harry saw Hagrid digging energetically in front of his cabin. Harry wondered what he was doing. It looked as though he were making a new vegetable patch. As he watched, Madame Maxime emerged from the Beaubaton carriage and walked over to Hagrid. She appeared to be trying to engage him in conversation. Hagrid leaned upon his spade, but did not seem keen to prolong their talk, because Madame Maxime returned to the carriage shortly thereafter. Unable to go... Unwilling to go back to Gryffindor Tower and listen to Ron and Hermione snarling at each other, Harry watched Hagrid digging until the darkness swallowed him, and the owls around Harry began to awake, swooshing past him into the night. We're back on cats. Yep, Bee's asking how the cats are. I'll be honest, I don't know. It's been a little while since we've seen him. We're going to get to see him again soon, though, after this weekend. Yeah, that's one of the things I like about these stories, honestly, JK is willing to go into some of this stuff um, in interesting ways. You know, we don't we don't start with, you know, the stressed ministry official uh, going to drink. We've got the house elf who's, you know, clearly she's lost in a very important part of her life here. She's without a purpose, which is dangerous. Disenfranchisement is dangerous. I think we've been seeing that a lot lately. All right. By breakfast the next day, Ron's and Hermione's bad moods had burnt out, and to Harry's relief, Ron's dark predictions that the house elves would send substandard food up to the Gryffindor table because Hermione had insulted them proved false. The bacon, eggs, and kippers were quite as good as usual. When the post owls arrived, Hermione looked up eagerly. She seemed to be expecting something. Percy won't have had time to answer yet, said Ron. We only sent Hedwig yesterday. No, it's not that, said Hermione. I've taken out a subscription to the Daily Prophet. I'm sick of finding everything out from the Slytherins. 
Good idea, said Harry, also looking up at the owls. Hey, Hermione, I think you're in luck. The grey owl was soaring down toward Hermione. It hasn't got a newspaper, though, she said, looking disappointed. It's... But to her bewilderment, the grey owl landed in front of her plate, closely followed by four barn owls, a brown owl, and a tawny. How many subscriptions did you take out? said Harry, seizing Hermione's goblet before it was knocked over by the cluster of owls, all of whom were jostling close to her, trying to deliver their own letter first. What on earth? Hermione said, taking the letter from the grey owl, opening it and starting to read. <laughs> really? she sputtered, going rather red. What's up? said Ron. It's... how ridiculous! She thrust the letter at Harry, who saw that it was not handwritten, but composed of pasted letters that seemed to have been cut from the Daily Prophet. You are a wicked girl. Harry Potter deserves better. Go back where you came from, muggle. They're all like it, said Hermione desperately, opening one letter after the other. Harry Potter can do so much better than likes of you. You deserve to be boiled in frog spawn. Ouch! She had opened the last envelope, and yellowish-green liquid smelling strongly of petrol gushed over her hands, which began to erupt into large yellow boils. "'Undiluted boobatuba puss,' said Ron, picking up the envelope gingerly and sniffing it. "'Ouch!' said Hermione, tears starting in her eyes as she tried to rub the puss off her hands with a napkin, but her fingers were now so thickly covered in painful sores it looked as though she were wearing a pair of thick, knobbly gloves.' "'You'd better get up to the hospital wing,' said Harry, as the owls around Hermione took flight. "'We'll tell Professor Sprout where you've gone.' "'I warned her,' said Ron, as Hermione hurried out of the great hall, cradling her hands. "'I warned her not to annoy Rita Skeeter. Look at this one!' He read out one of the letters Hermione had left behind. "'I read in Witch Weekly about how you've been playing Harry Potter false.' And that boy's got enough hardship, and I will be sending you a curse by next post as soon as I can find an envelope big enough. Blimey. She'd better watch out for herself. Hermione didn't turn up for her biology. As Harry and Ron left the greenhouse for their Care of Magical Creatures class, they saw Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle descending the stone steps of the castle. Pansy Parkinson was whispering and giggling behind them with her gang of Slytherin girls, Catching sight of Harry, Pansy called, Potter, have you split up with your girlfriend? Why was she so upset at breakfast? Harry ignored her. He didn't want to give her the satisfaction of knowing how much trouble the Witch Weekly article had caused. Hagrid, who had told them last lesson that they had finished with unicorns, was waiting for them outside the cabin with a fresh supply of open crates at his feet. Harry's heart sank at the sight of the crates. Surely not another scrut hatching. But when he got near enough to see inside, he found himself looking at a number of fluffy black creatures with long snouts. Their front paws were curiously flat, like spades, and they were blinking up at the class, looking politely puzzled at all the attention. "'These are nifflers,' said Hagrid, when the class had gathered around. "'You find them in mines, mostly. They like sparkly stuff. There you go, look!' One of the Nifflers had suddenly leapt up and attempted to bite Pansy Parkinson's watch off of her wrist. She shrieked and jumped backward. 
useful little treasure detectors, said Hagrid happily. We thought we'd have some fun with them today. You see, over there... He pointed at the large patch of freshly turned earth Harry had been watching him digging from the owlery window. I've, uh, I've buried some gold coins. Not a prize for whoever picks a niffler that digs up the most. Now just take off all your valuables and choose a niffler and get ready to set them loose. Harry took off his watch, which he was only wearing out of habit, as it didn't work anymore, and he stuffed it into his pocket. Then he picked up a niffler. It put its long snout in Harry's ear and sniffed enthusiastically. It really was quite cuddly. Hang on, said Hagrid, looking down into the crate. There's a, a spare niffler here. Who's missing? Where's Hermione? She had to go to the hospital wing, said Ron. We'll explain later, Harry muttered. Pansy Parkinson was listening. It was easily the most fun they had ever had in Care of Magical Creatures. The Nifflers dived in and out of the patch of earth as though it were water, each scurrying back to the student who had released it and spitting gold into their hands. Ron's was particularly efficient. It had soon filled his lap with coins. Can you buy these as pets, Hagrid? He asked excitedly as his Niffler dived back into the soil, splattering his robes. Your mum wouldn't be happy, Ron, said Hagrid, grinning. They wreck houses, Nifflers. I reckon they've nearly got the lot now, he added, pacing around the patch of earth while the Nifflers continued to dive. I only buried a hundred coins. Oh, there you are, Hermione. Hermione was walking toward them across the lawn. Her hands were very heavily bandaged, and she looked miserable. Pansy Parkinson was watching her beadily. Well, let's check how you're done, said Hagrid. Count your coins, and there's no point trying to steal any coil, he added, his beetle-black eyes narrowed. It's leprechaun gold. It vanishes after a few hours. Goyle emptied his pockets. Goyle emptied his pockets, looking extremely sulky. It turned out that Ron's Niffler had been most successful, so Hagrid gave him an enormous slab of Honeyduke's chocolate for a prize. The bell rang across the grounds for lunch, the rest of the class set back up to the castle, but Harry, Ron, and Hermione stayed behind to help Hagrid put the Nifflers back into their boxes. Harry noticed Madame Maxime watching them out of her carriage window. "'What have you done to your hands, Hermione?' said Hagrid, looking concerned. Hermione told him about the hate mail she had received that morning, and the envelope full of boobatuber pus. "'Eh, don't worry,' said Hagrid gently, looking down at her. I got some of those letters and all, after Rita Skeeter wrote about my mum. You're a monster and you should be put down. Your mother killed innocent people. If you had any decency, you'd jump in a lake. No, said Hermione, looking shocked. Yeah, said Hagrid, heaving the Niffler crates over by his cabin wall. They're just nutters, Hermione. Don't open them if you get any more. Chuck them straight in the fire. You missed a really good lesson. Harry told Hermione as they headed back toward the castle. They're good, Nifflers, aren't they, Ron? Ron, however, was frowning at the chocolate Hagrid given him. He looked thoroughly put out about something. Oh, what's the matter? said Harry. Wrong flavour? No, said Ron shortly. Well, why didn't you tell me about the gold? 
What gold? said Harry. The gold I gave you at the Quidditch World Cup, said Ron. The leprechaun gold I gave you for my omnioculars. In the top box, why didn't you tell me it had disappeared? Harry had to think for a moment before he realised what Ron was talking about. Oh, he said, the memory coming back to him at last. I don't know. I never noticed it had gone. I was more worried about my wand, wasn't I? They climbed the steps into the entrance hall and went into the great hall for lunch. Must be nice, Ron said abruptly, when they had sat down and started serving themselves roast beef and Yorkshire puddings. To have so much money you don't notice if a pocket full of galleons goes missing. Listen, I had other stuff on my mind that night. Listen, I had other stuff on my mind that night, said Harry impatiently. We all did, remember? I didn't know leprechaun gold vanishes, Ron muttered. I thought I was paying you back. You shouldn't have given me that Chudley Cannon's hat for Christmas. Forget it, all right, said Harry. Ron speared a roast potato on the end of his fork, glaring at it. Then he said, I hate being poor. Harry and Hermione looked at each other. Neither of them really knew what to say. It's rubbish, said Ron, glaring down at his potato. I don't blame Fred and George for trying to make some extra money. Wish I could. I wish I had a niffler. Well, we know what to get you next Christmas, said Hermione brightly. Then, when Ron continued to look gloomy, she said, Come on, Ron, it could have been worse. At least your fingers aren't full of pus. Hermione was having a lot of difficulty managing her knife and fork. Her fingers were so stiff and swollen. I hate that Skeeter woman, she burst out savagely. I'll get her back for this if it's the last thing I do. Hate mail continued to arrive for Hermione over the following week, and although she followed Hagrid's advice and stopped opening it, several of her ill-wishers sent howlers, which exploded at the Gryffindor table and shrieked insults at her for the whole hall to hear. Even those people who didn't read Witch Weekly knew all about the supposed Harry Crumb Hermione triangle now. Harry was getting sick of telling people that Hermione wasn't his girlfriend. It'll die down, though, he told Hermione if we just ignore it. People got bored with that stuff that she wrote about me last time. I want to know how she's listening to private conversations when she's supposed to be banned from the grounds, said Hermione angrily. Hermione hung back in their next Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson to ask Professor Moody something. The rest of the class was very eager to leave. Moody had given them such a rigorous test of hex deflection that many of them were nursing small injuries. Harry had such a bad case of twitchy ears, he had to hold his hands clamped over them as he walked away from the class. Well, Rita's definitely not using an invisibility cloak, Hermione panted five minutes later, catching up with Harry and Ron at the entrance hall, and pulling Harry's hand away from one of his wriggling ears so he could hear her. Moody says he didn't see her anywhere near the judge's table at the second task, or anywhere near the lake. Hermione, is there any point in you telling us to... Oh, try that again. Hermione, is there any point in telling you to drop this? Said Ron. No, said Hermione stubbornly. I want to know how she heard me talking to Victor, and how she found out about Hagrid's mum. 
Maybe she had you bugged, said Harry. Bugged, said Ron blankly. What? what? Like, put fleas on her or something. Harry started explaining about hidden microphones and recording equipment. Ron was fascinated, but Hermione interrupted them. Are you two ever going to read Hogwarts a history? What's the point? said Ron. You know it by heart, we can just ask you. All of those substitutes for magic that muggles use, electricity, computers, radar, all of those things, they all go haywire around Hogwarts. It's much too much magic in the air. No, Rita's using magic to eavesdrop, she must be. If I could just find out what it was. Ooh, if it's illegal, I'll have her. Haven't we got enough to worry about? Ron asked her. Do we have to start a vendetta against Rita Skeeter as well? I'm not asking you to help, Hermione snapped. I'll do it on my own. <laughs> she marched back up the marble staircase without a backward glance. Harry was quite sure she was going to the library. What's the betting that she comes back with a box of I hate Rita Skeeter badges? said Ron. Hermione, however, did not ask Harry and Ron to help her pursue vengeance against Rita Skeeter, for which they were both grateful, because their workload was mounting ever higher in the days before the Easter holidays. Harry frankly marveled at the fact that Hermione could research magical methods of eavesdropping as well as everything else they had to do. He was working flat out just to get through all their homework, though he made a point of sending regular food packages up to the cave in the mountains for Sirius. After last summer, Harry had not forgotten what it felt like to be continually hungry. He enclosed notes to Sirius, telling him that nothing out of the ordinary had happened, and that they were still waiting for an answer from Percy. Hedwig didn't return until the end of the Easter holidays. Percy's letter was enclosed in a package of Easter eggs that Mrs. Weasley had sent. Both Harry's and Ron's were the size of dragon eggs and full of homemade toffee. Hermione's, however, was smaller than a chicken egg. Her face fell when she saw it. Your mum doesn't read Witch Weekly by any chance, does she, Ron? She asked quietly. Yeah, said Ron, whose mouth was full of toffee. Gets it full of recipes. Hermione looked sadly at her tiny egg. Don't you want to see what Percy's written? Harry asked her hastily. Percy's letter was short and irritated. As I am constantly telling the Daily Prophet, Mr. Crouch is taking a well-deserved break. He is sending in regular owls with instructions. No, I haven't actually seen him, but I think I can be trusted to know my own superior's handwriting. I have quite enough to do at the moment without trying to quash these ridiculous rumors. Please don't bother me again unless it's something important. Happy Easter. The start of the summer term would normally have meant that Harry was training hard for the last Quidditch match of the season. This year, however, it was the third and final task in the Triwizard Tournament. For what he, um, this year, however, it was the third and final task in the Triwizard Tournament for which he was needing to prepare, but he still didn't know what he would have to do. Finally, in the last week of May, Professor McGonagall held him back in transfiguration. You're to go down to the Quidditch field tonight at nine o'clock, Potter, she told him. Mr. Bagman will be there to tell the champions about the third task. 
So at half past nine that night, Harry left Ron and Hermione in the Gryffindor Tower and went downstairs. As he crossed the entrance hall, Cedric came out from the Hufflepuff common room. What do you reckon it's going to be? he asked Harry as they went together down the stone steps, out into the cloudy night. Floor keeps going on. No, that's not. Floor keeps going on about underground tunnels. She reckons we've got to find treasure. That wouldn't be too bad, said Harry, thinking about how he would simply ask Hagrid for a Niffler to do the job for him. They walked down the dark lawn to the Quidditch Stadium, turned through a gap in the stands, and walked out onto the field. "'What have they done to it?' Cedric said indignantly, stopping dead. The Quidditch field was no longer smooth and flat. It looked as though somebody had been building long, low walls all over it that twisted and crisscrossed in every direction. "'They're hedges,' said Harry, bending to examine the nearest one. "'Hello there,' called the cheery voice. Ludo Bagman was standing in the middle of the field with Crum and Fleur. Harry and Cedric made their way toward them, climbing over the hedges. Fleur beamed at Harry as she came closer. Let's try that again. Fleur beamed at Harry as he came nearer. Her attitude toward him had changed completely since he had saved her sister from the lake. "'Well, what do you think?' said Bagman happily, as Harry and Cedric climbed over the last hedge. "'Growing nicely, aren't they? Give them a month and Hagrid will have them twenty feet high. Don't worry,' he added." grinning, spotting the less-than-happy expressions on Harry and Cedric's faces. "'You'll have your Quidditch field back to normal once the task is over. Now, I imagine you can... you can guess what we're making here.' No one spoke for a moment. Then... "'Maze,' grunted Crumb. "'That's right!' said Bagman. "'A maze! The third task's really straightforward.' Triwizard Cup will be placed at the center of the maze. The first champion to touch it will receive full marks. We simply have to get through the maze, said Fleur. <laughs> there will be obstacles, said Bagman happily, bouncing on the balls of his feet. Hagrid's providing a number of creatures. Then there will be spells that must be broken, all that sort of thing, you know. Now, the champions who are leading on points will get a head start into the maze. Bagman grinned at Harry and Cedric. Then Mr. Crumb will enter, then Miss Delacour. But you'll be in with a fighting chance, depending on how well you get past the obstacles. Should be fun, huh? Harry, who knew only too well what kind of creature Hagrid was likely to provide for an event like this, thought it was unlikely to be any fun at all. However, he nodded politely, like the other champions. Very well. If you haven't got any questions, we'll go back up to the castle, shall we? It's a bit chilly. Bagman hurried alongside Harry as they began to wend their way out of the growing maze. Harry had the feeling that Bagman was going to start offering him help again, but just then, Crumb tapped Harry on the shoulder. Could I have a word? Uh, yeah, all right, said Harry, slightly surprised. Will you walk with me? Okay said Harry curiously. Bagman looked slightly perturbed. I'll wait for you, Harry, shall I? No, it's okay, Mr. Bagman, said Harry, 
suppressing the smile. I think I can find the castle on my own, thanks. Harry and Crum left the stadium together, but Crum did not set a course for the Durmstrang ship. Instead, he walked toward the forest. "'What are we going this way for?' said Harry, as they passed Hagrid's cabin and the illuminated Bobaton carriage. "'Don't want to be overheard,' said Crum shortly. When at last they had reached a quiet stretch of ground a short way from the Bobaton horse's paddock, Crum stopped in the shade of trees and turned to face Harry. "'I want to know,' he said, glowering, "'what there is between you and Hermonini.' Harry, who from Crumb's secretive nature had expected something much more serious than this, stared up at Crumb in amazement. Nothing, he said. But Crumb glowered at him, and Harry, somehow struck anew by, hall, by how tall Crumb was, elaborated. We're friends. She's not my girlfriend, and she never has been. It's just that Skeeter woman making things up. Hermione need talks about you very often, said Crumb, looking suspiciously at Harry. Yeah, said Harry, because we're friends. He couldn't quite believe he was having this conversation with Victor Crumb, the famous international Quidditch player. It was as though the 18-year-old Crumb thought he, Harry, was an equal, a real rival. You have never... You have not... No, said Harry very firmly. Crumb looked slightly happier. He stared at Harry for a few seconds, then said, You fly very well. I was watching at the first task. Thanks, said Harry, grinning broadly and suddenly feeling much taller himself. I saw you at the Quidditch World Cup, the Ronsky faint, you really... But something moved behind Crumb in the trees, and Harry, who had some experience of the sort of thing that lurked in the forest instinctively grabbed Crumb's arm and pulled him around. What is it? Harry shook his head, staring at the place where he'd seen movement. He slipped his hand inside his robes, reaching for his wand. Suddenly, a man staggered out from behind a tall oak. For a moment, Harry didn't recognize him. Then he realized it was Mr. Crouch. He looked as though he had been traveling for days. The knees of his robes were ripped and bloody, his face scratched, he was unshaven and gray with exhaustion. His neat hair and mustache were both in need of a wash and a trim. His strange appearance, however, was nothing to the way he was behaving. Muttering and gesticulating, Mr. Crouch appeared to be talking to someone that he alone could see. He reminded Harry vividly of an old tramp he had once seen when out shopping with the Dursleys. That man, too, had been conversing wildly with thin air. Aunt Petunia had seized Dudley's hand and pulled him across the road to avoid him. Uncle Vernon had then treated the family to a long rant about what he would like to do with beggars and vagrants. "'Wasn't he a judge?' said Crumb, staring at Mr. Crouch. "'Isn't he with your ministry?' Harry nodded and hesitated for a moment, then walked slowly toward Mr. Crouch who did not look at him, but continued to talk to the nearby tree. "'And when you have done with that, Weatherby, send an owl to Dumbledore confirming the number of Darmstrang students who will be attending the tournament. Karkaroff has just sent word there will be twelve. 
Mr. Crouch, said Harry continuously. Continuously. Mr. Crouch, said Harry cautiously. And then another owl to Madame Maxine, because she might want to up the number of students she's bringing. Now Carcross made it a round dozen. Do that, Weatherby, will you? Will you? Will you? Mr. Crouch's eyes were bulging. He stood staring at the tree, muttering soundlessly at it. Then he staggered sideways and fell to his knees. Mr. Crouch, Harry said loudly, are you all right? Crouch's eyes were rolling in his head. He looked around at Crumb, who had followed him into the trees, and was looking down at Crouch in alarm. What is wrong with him? No idea, Harry muttered. Listen, you'd better go and get someone. Dumbledore, gasped Mr. Crouch. He reached out and seized a handful of Harry's robes, dragging him closer, though his eyes were staring over Harry's head. I need... see... Dumbledore. Okay, said Harry. If you get up, Mr. Crouch, we can go up to the... I've done... stupid thing. Mr. Crouch breathed. He looked utterly mad. His eyes were rolling and bulging, and a trickle of spittle was sliding down his chin. Every word he spoke seemed to cost him a terrible effort. Must tell Dumbledore. Get up, Mr. Crouch, said Harry loudly and clearly. Get up, I'll take you to Dumbledore. Mr. Crouch's eyes rolled forward onto Harry. Who? You, he whispered. I'm a student at the school, said Harry, looking around at Crumb for some help, but Crumb was hanging back, looking extremely nervous. You're not his, whispered Crouch, his mouth sagging. No, said Harry, without the faintest idea what Crouch was talking about. Dumbledore's. That's right, said Harry. Crouch was pulling him closer. Harry tried to loosen Crouch's grip on his robes, but it was too powerful. Warn Dumbledore. I'll get Dumbledore if you let go of me, said Harry. Just let go, Mr. Crouch, and I'll get him. Thank you, Weatherby, and when you've done with that, I would like a cup of tea. My wife and son will be arriving shortly. We are attending a concert tonight with Mr. and Mrs. Fudge. Crouch is now talking furtively. Crouch is now talking fluently to a tree again and seemed completely unaware that Harry was there. Which surprised Harry so much he didn't notice Crouch had released him. Yes, my son has recently gained twelve hours. Most satisfactory. Yes, thank you. Yes, very proud indeed. Now, if you could please bring me that memo from the Andorran Minister of Magic, I think I'll have time to draft a response. You stay here with him, Harry said to Crumb. I'll get Dumbledore. I'll, I'll be quicker. I know where his office is. He is mad, said Crumb doubtfully, staring down at Crouch, who was still gabbling to the tree, apparently convinced it was Percy. Just stay with him, said Harry, starting to get up, but his movement seemed to trigger another abrupt change in Mr. Crouch, who seized him hard around the knees and pulled Harry back to the ground. Don't leave me, he whispered, his eyes bulging again. I escaped... Must warn, must tell, see Dumbledore, my fault, all my fault, Bertha, dead, all 
my fault, my son, my fault. Tell Dumbledore, Harry Potter, the Dark Lord, stronger, Harry Potter. I'll get Dumbledore if you let me go, Mr. Crouch, said Harry. He looked furiously around at Crumb. Help me, will you? Looking extremely apprehensive, Crumb moved forward and squatted down next to Mr. Crouch. Just keep him here, said Harry, pulling himself free of Mr. Crouch. I'll be back with Dumbledore. Ready, won't you? Crumb called after him as Harry sprinted away from the forest and up through the dark grounds. They were deserted. Bagman, Cedric, and Floor had disappeared. Harry tore up the stone steps, through the oak front doors, and off up the marble staircase, toward the second floor. Five minutes later, he was hurtling toward a stone gargoyle, standing halfway along an empty corridor. <sighs> Lemon drop, he panted at it. This was the password to the hidden staircase to Dumbledore's office. Or, at least, it had been two years ago. The password had evidently changed, however, for the stone gargoyle did not spring to life and jump aside, but stood frozen, staring at Harry malevolently. Move! Harry shouted at it. Come on! But nothing at Hogwarts had ever moved just because he had shouted at it. He knew it was no good. He looked up and down the corridor. Perhaps Dumbledore was in the staff room? He started running as fast as he could toward the staircase. Potter. Harry skidded to a halt and looked around. Snape had just emerged from the hidden staircase behind the stone gargoyle. The wall was sliding shut behind him even as he beckoned Harry back toward him. What are you doing here, Potter? I need to see Professor Dumbledore, said Harry, running back up the corridor and skidding to a standstill in front of Snape instead. It's Mr. Crouch. He's just turned up. He's in the forest. He's asking... What is this rubbish? said Snape, his black eyes glittering. What are you talking about? Mr. Crouch, Harry shouted, from the Ministry. He's ill or something. He's in the forest. He wants to see Dumbledore. Just give me the password to... The Headmaster is busy, Potter, said Snape his thin mouth curling into an unpleasant smile. "'I've got to tell Dumbledore!' Harry yelled. "'Didn't you hear me, Potter?' Harry could tell Snape was thoroughly enjoying himself, denying Harry the thing he wanted when he was so panicky. "'Look!' said Harry angrily. "'Crouch isn't right. He's out of his mind. He says he wants to warn—' The stone wall behind Snape slid open. Dumbledore was standing there wearing long green robes and a mildly curious expression. "'Is that a problem?' he said, looking between Harry and Snape. "'Professor!' Harry said, sidestepping Snape before Snape could speak. "'Mr. Crouch is here. He's down in the forest. He wants to speak to you.' Harry expected Dumbledore to ask questions, but to his relief, Dumbledore did nothing of the sort." Lead the way, he said promptly, and swept off along the corridor behind Harry, leaving Snape standing next to the gargoyle and looking twice as ugly. What did Mr. Crouch say, Harry? said Dumbledore as they walked swiftly down the marble staircase. Said he wanted to warn you. He said he's done something terrible. He mentioned his son and Bertha Jorkins and, and Voldemort. Something about Voldemort. 
getting stronger. Indeed, said Dumbledore, and he quickened his pace as they hurried out into the pitch darkness. He's not acting normally, Harry said, hurrying along beside Dumbledore. He doesn't seem to know where he is. He keeps talking like he thinks Percy Weasley's there. And then he changes and says he needs to see you. I left him with Victor Crumb. You did, said Dumbledore sharply, and he began to take longer strides still so that Harry was running to keep up. Do you know if anyone else saw Mr. Crouch? No, said Harry. Crumb and I were talking. Mr. Bagman had just finished telling us about the third task. We stayed behind, and then we saw Mr. Crouch coming out of the forest. Where are they? said Dumbledore as the Bobaton carriage emerged from the darkness. Over there, said Harry, moving in front of Dumbledore, leading the way through the trees. He couldn't hear Crouch's voice anymore. But he knew where he was going. It hadn't been much past the Bobaton carriage. Somewhere around here. Victor! Harry shouted. No one answered. They were here, he said to Dumbledore. They were definitely somewhere around here. Lumos, Dumbledore said, lighting his wand and holding it up. Its narrow beam traveled from black trunk to black trunk, illuminating the ground. And then it fell upon a pair of feet. Harry and Dumbledore hurried forward. Crumb was sprawled on the forest floor. He seemed to be unconscious. There was no sign at all of Mr. Crouch. Dumbledore bent over Crumb and gently lifted one of his eyelids. Stunned, he said softly. His half-moon glasses glittered in the wand light as he peered around at the surrounding trees. Shall I go get someone? said Harry. Madam Pomfrey? No, said Harry. Mm, said Dumbledore swiftly. Stay here. He raised his wand into the air and pointed it in the direction of Hagrid's cabin. Harry saw something silvery dart out of it and streak away through the trees like a ghostly bird. Then Dumbledore bent over Crumb again, pointed his wand at him, and muttered, Renovate! Crumb opened his eyes. He looked dazed. When he saw Dumbledore, he tried to sit up, but Dumbledore put a hand on his shoulder and made him lie still. He attacked me, Crumb muttered, putting a hand up to his head. The old madman attacked me. I was looking around to see where Potter had gone, and he attacked me from behind. Lie still for a moment, Dumbledore said. The sound of thunderous footfalls reached them, and Hagrid came panting into sight with Fang at his heels. He was carrying his crossbow. Professor Dumbledore, he said, his eyes widening. Harry? What the... Hagrid, I need you to fess Professor Karkaroff, said Dumbledore. His student has been attacked. When you've done that, kindly alert Professor Moody. No need, Dumbledore, said a wheezy growl. I'm here. Moody was limping toward them, leaning on his staff, his wand lit. Damn leg, he said furiously. You would have been here quicker. What's happened? Snape said something about Crouch. Crouch? said Hagrid blankly. Karkaroff, please, Hagrid, said Dumbledore sharply. Oh, yeah, right you are, Professor, said Hagrid, and he turned and disappeared into the dark trees.
Fang trotting after him. I don't know where Barty Crouch is, Dumbledore told Moody, but it is essential that we find him. I'm unto it, growled Moody, and he raised his wand and limped off into the forest. Neither Dumbledore nor Harry spoke again until they heard the unmistakable sounds of Hagrid and Fang returning. Kokoroff was hurrying along behind them. He was wearing his sleek silver furs, and he looked pale and agitated. "'What is this?' he cried when he saw Crumb on the ground and Dumbledore and Harry beside him. "'What is going on?' "'I've also attacked,' said Crumb, sitting up now and rubbing his head. "'Mr. Crouch, or whatever his name.' "'Crouch attacked you? Crouch attacked you, the Triwizard's judge?' "'Ego,' Dumbledore began, but Karkaroff had drawn himself up again clutching his furs behind him, looking livid. "'Treachery!' he bellowed, pointing at Dumbledore. "'It is a plot! You and your Ministry of Magic have lured me here under false pretenses, Dumbledore. This is not an equal competition. First, you sneak Potter into your tournament, though he is underage. Now one of your Ministry friends attempts to put my champion out of action. I smell double-dealing and corruption in this whole affair!' And you, Dumbledore, you with your talks of closer international wizarding links, of rebuilding old ties, of forgetting old differences. Here is what I think of you. <clears throat> Karkaroff spat onto the ground at Dumbledore's feet. In one swift movement, Hagrid seized the front of Karkaroff's furs, lifted him into the air, and slammed him against a nearby tree. Apologize, Hagrid snarled as Karkaroff gasped for breath. Hagrid's massive fist at his throat, his feet dangling in midair. Hagrid, no! Dumbledore shouted, his eyes flashing. Hagrid removed his hand, pinning Karkaroff to the tree, and Karkaroff slid all the way down the trunk and slumped into a huddle at its roots, a few twigs showering onto his head. Kindly escort Harry back up to the castle, Hagrid, said Dumbledore sharply. Breathing heavily, Hagrid gave Karkaroff a glowering look. Maybe I better stay here, Edmaster. You'll take Harry back to the school, Hagrid, Dumbledore repeated firmly. Take him right up to Gryffindor Tower. And Harry, I want you to stay there. Anything that you might want to do, any owls you might want to send, they can wait until morning. Do you understand me? Um, yes, said Harry, staring at him. How had Dumbledore known that? At that very moment, he had been thinking about sending Pigwidgeon straight to Harry. <laughs> he had been thinking about sending Pigwidgeon straight to Sirius to tell him what had happened. I leave Fang with you, Headmaster, Hagrid said, staring menacingly at, menacingly at Karkaroff, who was still sprawling at the foot of the tree, tangled in firs and tree roots. Stay, Fang. Come on, Harry. They marched in silence past the Beaubaton carriage and up toward the castle. How dare he? Hagrid growled as they strode past the lake. How dare he accuse Dumbledore? Like Dumbledore do anything like that? Like Dumbledore wanted you in the tournament in the first place? Worried. I don't know when I've seen Dumbledore more worried than he's been lately. And you? He suddenly added angrily to Harry, who looked up at him, taken aback. What are you doing wandering off with Ruddy Crumb? 
He's from Durmstrangery. Could have jinxed you right there, couldn't he? Hasn't Moody taught you nothing? Imagine letting him lure you off on your own. Crumb's all right, said Harry as they climbed the steps into the entrance hall. He wasn't trying to jinx me. He just wanted to talk about Hermione. I'll be having a few words with her and all, said Hagrid, grimly stopping up the stairs. Unless you lot have to do with these foreigners, the happier you'll be. Can't trust any of them. You were getting on all right with Madame Maxime, Harry said, annoyed. Don't you talk to me about her, said Hagrid, and he looked quite frightening for a moment. I've got her number now. Trying to get me back in the good books, trying to get me to tell her what's coming in the third task. <laughs> Can't trust any of them. Hagrid was in such a bad mood, Harry was quite glad to say goodbye to him in front of the fat lady. He clambered through the portrait hole into the common room and hurried straight to the corner where Ron and Hermione were sitting to tell them what had happened. And that is the end of chapter 28. Now, goodness gracious, let's see what's going on in chat. Is there some weird business? Is there oddness happening in chat? What's, what's, always? Let's see. I can't even tell where we're at right now. All I know is Ashling says, I will once reading is done. Bella is a ham with a camera. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, okay. Okay, yeah. That sounds good to me. We'll get, I tell you what, once we're back home, I will. Oh, sure, I gotcha. Hold up, gotta get a famous famous cat in here. Cat grief. <sighs> Chat, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for I'm sorry for these people and what they're gonna do here. Alright. Here's a here's the cat. Hey, Edison, will you sneeze? Sneeze. Sneeze, Sneeze. Will you sneeze? Sneeze. He's absolutely panicked right now. Sneeze. 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 All right, this has been Crappy Circus. Thank you for joining me. Um, that's Edison. They're, uh, they're anxious little dog. Yeah, everyone is in is in Edison's room right now, essentially. But uh, yeah, I hope y'all like the chapter. What uh, what else is going on in chat? Dogs, dogs. Bella, dogs. Golden Retriever, dogs, dogs, dogs. Tim Burton fan. The marshmallow's name is Zeppy, and the trash gremlin is <laughs> Elska. The cat is Trixie. Everyone, everyone at some point has a trash gremlin, right? A little trash gremlin creature who you love. You just love them, but it's like, ah, boy, it's a good thing I love you because I don't know if anybody else will. Come on, 
Uh, B, yeah, I got real lost in chat for a while there. Is the best anti-hero ever in literature? I mean, that's uh, so. There, that's a lot of spoilery things coming up with that, but um, I think there are a lot of people who agree with you. I think there are a lot of people with, with I mean, strong opinions on that too. And that's you know, there's there's that discussion of this. I think the the idea of the anti-hero kind of came about re fairly recently in the grand scheme of things. Um, there was the idea that there were heroes and antagonists but anti-heroes is something that's come up more recently um i do wonder why too why is that idea so attractive and i wonder if it's because hmm okay you're all right you got you got the the gears spinning here stories have been about heroes traditionally and i wonder if it's become less about expressing stories about archetypes and about ideals you know it seems like that's what a lot of of uh of literature was for a very very long time kind of morality tales etc um and uh i i stories that would espouse a certain way of listening and they very clearly had character types that were punished whether by god or gods or karma or fate what have you um and so it was sort of, there was a sense always that there was a certain kind of way, certain kind of character you shouldn't emulate and certain kinds of characters that you should because the gods would reward them or fate would reward them, etc. Um, and uh, nowadays, I think people try to represent a little bit more of the actuality of people and how, you know, characters aren't designed to be... Um, you know, caricatures or cartoons that, uh, you know, represent these big concepts, people more and more, I think, are trying to tell pretty human stories in a way, even if it's not about humans. Um, so I think that's where, maybe that's where we get the idea of antiheroes. All right. Uh, B is saying beans, Jesse, antipasto, beans, beans, beans. Nate says... We don't have beans, but we may have a replacement for tonight. So Sam doesn't know what this is. <laughs> I don't know what this is. <laughs> I think just a chunk. I, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to go ahead and advocate for if my options are the whole thing or quote, just a chunk. I'll go with just a chunk. But I tell you what. To make this worth it, because, man, you guys have been blowing it out of the park. Uh, it's great to have so many people here. Um, I'm just going to close my eyes. Are you still going to bean when we get home, though? Uh, yeah, I've got more beans. We're going to... We'll, bean we'll do beans. This is just a supplement. Hey, thanks, guys, for this month. <laughs> kind of thing. Well, I mean, partially that, and partially I don't have enough beans. Gonna go we're going to have to get more beans, and I don't have nearly enough beans. All right. <laughs> <laughs> a beano box okay all right all right well hold on what do i what should i put on i need a i need a a blindfold of some kind just like a scarf or something what do you say why do we where did this come from why is he a cat now oh gotcha oh sure 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 grammy ruth Thank you. I appreciate it. Grammy Ruth says, can't say tonight, but your characters are terrific. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for the 
<laughs> Thank you for the ups. He's going to key him out. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. All right, give me that. Okay, let's see. Let's see. Hold on. Let me get to my other screen here. How's this look? Just funky, just funky. Um, you guys can't quite tell, but it's it's very dark green with lighter green stripes and then a white stripe in between. But as you can see, ee, ee, ee. all right. There we go. All right, I gotta get I gotta get back to my. I'm a I'm a terrible. Hold on. All right. I'm I've got a a real bad. Uh, My bad treatment tonight. All right. I can hear them going on and on, but you guys probably can't tell. Um, no, I'm just good. I'll just throw up, huh? Yeah. All right. I'm ready. Show it to them. Let's do this. How, how wide do I have to open my mouth? Not that wide. Okay. You can smell it from here. Ah. Oh. <laughs> it seems cheesy. It's cheesy. Or not just cheesy. Tell us the flavors you're experiencing. Is it like a mint cheese? No. <laughs> that one was a joke. That one was a joke because I'm always terrible at this. By the way, I really apologize. You know what the best thing that everyone loves on audio? That's disgusting to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> you can just mute it. There's a mute button on it. That's all to listen to. I feel like some kind of smoked, I don't know, smoked Do Swiss. Sure? I don't need another chunk, no. There's significantly more of it. Oh, I believe you. It, no, was I'm it? Just kidding with you. What? What is? Doesn't it smell like? What it is this? It looks like a breadstick. What the heck is this? It's gourmet. <laughs> Harley Davidson gourmet, maybe. What is it? <laughs> It looks like something dried in a museum. <laughs> this belongs in a museum. <laughs> smoked cheese, I think. Oh, man. Real smoked cheese. Real smoked Never, cheese. never use cheese and that I found in the same sentence. <laughs> never. It's I'm looking. Hold on. If I, just, if I just hold it sort of like this, then Ashling, I think, I think I make a fairly convincing Scott. Do I not? <laughs> Joking, I'm sorry. All right. Well, that was that was I think sufficiently awful, right? Yeah, I smell it. I I mean it actually doesn't smell bad. It smells like a dog tree. It smells I mean to me it smells like um what? Jerky? Yeah, I can smell it so it's Yeah, jerky or something. I mean I can go find Yeah, Ashley is a cheese log. If you I, want to eat more. I don't want to put <laughs> you out. <laughs> oh, man. That was... Honestly, not the worst. I've, sausage... Sausage, every flavor bean, still the worst I've yet to yeah. I've yet to put in my mouth. Yeah. No, that was okay. Well, there's plenty more for you to eat. <laughs> Ooh. All right. Yeah, cheese log. I would love to have a kilt. 
I don't know that I would wear it often. There's actually there are, there's a group of people that come into uh, the place where I work every once in a while, uh, and they they wear kilts like regularly. I think they're sort of trying to establish them uh, as an alternative to your your trouser or because I live in California, your skinny jean. <laughs> I am. I know, but... You're like Madame Zolstra. I feel like you would... Madame Zolstra, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll do readings as uh, Trelawney. Yeah. I see in your future a cheese log. It smoked. Cheese... Wow. <laughs> Skinny Jean... Jean was not my love. All right. I knew it was going to be a train wreck doing this here. Yeah. And I was right. Um, but it looks great. All right. I hope everyone has a fantastic week. Um, do you? Yeah. Do you guys? Hold on. I can fix this. <laughs> All right, now you are now you're audible. Are we audible? Yeah. It us. Subscribe to Audible. Subscribe to Audible. <laughs> <laughs> Use promo code Sidecar Stories for twenty five percent off. None of that is true. Are you gonna get in trouble now? I'm gonna get in trouble regardless. Send your beans to PO Box Sidecar Stories. I don't know if that's how PO Box numbers. PO work. Box at Sidecar Stories. <laughs> Uh, Marie says in France some people go worms in their cheese and it's as disgusting as it sounds. Oh. I watched a uh, I watched a Travel Channel uh, little thing. I think it was might have been Anthony Bourdain messing with it, but I've seen it. Yeah, it, I mean it looks gross. I don't even need to be in the, in the room with it and like smell it or anything. Just the look of it is like awful. Dead worms. Just rot. She said they grow up. Just rot. She says, it's live worms. she says it's as disgusting They grow as the as worms in their cheese. Do they eat them then? Yeah. Do they eat the worms yep. out of the cheese? Mm -hmm. oh. Assuming so this is the same thing you're talking about, oh, Marie. Goodness. Like what? What makes it taste better? Yeah, uh, like Marie. It's like grass-fed beef. I take it you maybe haven't partaken. Worm. Free-range worms. B says I've been <laughs> able to hear the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> It's a small room, and I apologize. <laughs> yeah. But the setup's great, right? I mean, check out this clean, clean green screen. It's yeah, you nice. can't check it out, because it's just books. It is just books. Yeah. I need a little border down at the lower edge, so I don't just look like a silly, silly man. You should have it green just, like, screen to whatever in. picture you're showing at the time, so that way you can just, like, move your face onto the faces. Just position yourself <laughs> Just put me on time. faces? <laughs> That'll be my job as your producer. <laughs> Is it like Ashling says it's like tequila? <laughs> yeah, with the the worm in the bottom. Yeah. Um, I've done that before. Have you? I've eaten the worm out of a tequila bottle. Oh. It's the worst thing in the world. That sounds yeah. That sounds sounds like the the worst intersection of texture and flavor right there. Yeah, it was horrible. And uh, general says sounds like the title of a BuzzFeed article. <laughs> <laughs> it does. In France, some people grow worms in their cheese, and it's as disgusting as it sounds. It definitely does. All right, new profession, Marie. 
I don't know what you do professionally, but uh, now you write BuzzFeed articles. Sorry? Not Seven article, times people title. have eaten worms out of cheese. <laughs> <laughs> you won't believe what happens next. <laughs> Please click. It's the only way we get paid. <laughs> we rated our top eight worms in tequila bottles. <laughs> Not the tequila, just the worms. Number seven may surprise you. Okay, so the worm is like a garnish for your cheese. You don't you just eat, eat the worm? The oh. Marie says my father would eat it with the worms, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think you just... I'm guessing there's sort of the possibility that you could sort of scoop around the worms, but I think what she's saying is most people eat so it what I'm picturing with the worms. Is I'm picturing a block of Swiss cheese with just worms coming out of the holes. <laughs> just like, hey. Like worms just and like apple. Noodling apple. Noodling. Well, <laughs> they look more like maggots, if I remember correctly. That's disgusting. It's worse, yeah. Yeah. I've had one run in with maggots, and they're the worst things oh. in the world. Oh. Oh. They're horrible. Was it horrendous? Hey, we didn't start this. Uh, I thought it was an interesting detail. I don't know how we started. Okay, we started on cheese log, which you guys must admit was 100% your fault. And then uh, Marie wanted to give us a little bit of world culture. Ew. <laughs> yeah, we were just going to give you one peppercorn. Like a whole... Just a peppercorn? Yeah, a non-ground peppercorn for you to eat. That would have been bad. That's, I would have so, messed up. you know when you use that other pepper grinder that we have, mm -hmm. that I hate it when you use it? That's yeah. What I, that's what happens when yeah. I bite into my eggs. Yeah. A whole peppercorn. Right, but these are like... For flavor. They're like Reese's... Reese's Pieces. Like Reese's what? The oh, cereal. Like, that's, that's how, how big, big they he's are. He's comparing the size. Good like lord. <laughs> no. No, though. It? You know what, Marie? Like Go for it. That's so fun. Ashley says, "Okay, all you worm eaters are brave." <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm not Marie, brave. Please I was educate just an us. Idiot. <laughs> Link a video. <laughs> yeah, I want to see uh, in the put it <laughs> in the Discord. I want to see a video of your dad eating bad cheese. I like you call it bad cheese. Like that's the that's the official name. I for think we can agree it's cheese. bad cheese. Much like meat logs are bad meat. That's true. They stop growing inside it. I think by default that makes it bad. Oh, Ashling says back to kilts, please, and the proper way to wear them. With nothing under them, is that the proper way? Yeah. Are they like skorts? Do they have shorts underneath? Usually, no. They're just a, they're, they're just, just, a, skirt. just a skirt. Tell least. us more about kilts, Ashling. Yeah, I guess this is Americans. Can you wear talking leggings? about this? Now the or correct like those bike pants that you have. Am I wrong? That doesn't help this area though. Am I wrong that uh, the pattern that your kilt would have is partially a matter of preference, but also partially has to do with um, uh, your clan affiliation, like on Xbox? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not a sponsor. <laughs> Not an ad. That's, that's Michaela's job. Anytime he mentions a product, Michaela yells, not a sponsor. Michaela just leans the into the mic. Hashtag not an ad. Ashley says, yes, nothing under. Yeah, you see, you seem almost too excited about that, Ashley. <laughs> Encountered many a man in kilt. Oh, you are hoes, you say. Interesting. <laughs> what happened? Uh, is it hose? I think I did. You were hose. Your clan colors. Or like 
your clan colors. It's, it's yeah, the it's the PG thirteen version of hose. You wear hose under your kilt. No. I mean, she said yes. <laughs> Not that we're taking a hard left here, aren't we? Should've saw that coming. All right. Anybody else hungry? Good grief. Cheese log. Yeah, after a, after a surprise cheese log, I'm starving. Do you want a peppercorn? For some reason, when I... <laughs> Ashley, I like that. <laughs> I, I, want a, I want your uh, memoirs to be titled that. Well done. All right. We've been going for about an hour and a half for a, for a one chapter night. That's pretty healthy. Mm-hmm. Like, That's a good oh, one. He sufficiently distracted you from anything Harry Potter. <laughs> all right. B says, I have an apple tree, and it's the worst. Either you pick up the apples all summer that have worms or bites from the fat squirrels, or you don't get any wonderful apples. And then you get bees. <laughs> Molly apples on the ground. We <laughs> <laughs> <What> do! <laughs> I'm just being honest. All right. A little bit of honesty from uh, from Nate there. All right. Thank you all so much for watching. Hold on. Let me get, let me get set back. Here we go. Tune in next week. Shovel like long socks, I guess you say in America, says that Ashling. Ashling? You sh do you wear boxers? It does help. You don't wear you just wear longer socks than usual. That doesn't... You're right. What does that help? It doesn't keep the goods in. There's I nothing don't, holding on to them. It'd be so sweaty. I, do, I think you're missing the point here. I don't think it would. It'd be breezy. I'm going to argue about guilt. Thank you all for the strange culture exposure we got today. Um, I love you guys. Hope you have a great week. Um, and I will see you. We should be back on for essentially regular schedule next week. Um, I'm going to be back at... 6 p.m. Pacific time. And I, sh I should be back at two chapters. I'm not going to guarantee you that for the first week because it might be it might be uh, a long one. But yeah, depending on, depend on uh, how quickly my prep goes. B, have a great night. Marie, everyone who's here, welcome and thank you. And I'll see you later. Have a great week. Adios.